You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. The debate you're about to hear was held at the California State University in Fresno, California, October 1988. The debate was attended by about 200 people, half were students and half were interested citizens from the community. This tape is provided by the Advocates for Self-Government. Our purpose is to present the freedom philosophy to opinion makers in all walks of life so that they can encounter, evaluate, and when ready, embrace the ideals of self-government. As you listen, ask yourself whether the libertarians have done their homework on this difficult issue. Ask yourself if they really care to find solutions to the drug epidemic. Ask yourself whether maybe you should find out more about this political philosophy, a philosophy that can't be categorized as left-wing or right-wing because it combines the self-government imperatives of both. This tape is copyrighted by the advocates, but you hereby have permission to make copies as gifts. Please request permission for a commercial broadcast. And now, let's go to the live recording. Welcome to the debate on the uh, legalization of drugs. And the resolution of this debate is the legalization of drugs will help us build a safer and more productive America. I'm Dennis Caton. I'm a Superior Court judge, and I will be moderating the debate. I would like at this time to uh, thank the uh, California State University Student Unions Program Committee and the No, uh, the Coalition to Stop Drugs and Their Legalization for sponsoring this debate. And uh, present uh, and being very helpful this evening is Jim Rodham, the chair of that committee, the committee, uh, the programs committee. Before uh, I make some introductions, I'm holding up two documents here. One is a, uh, the audience response form, which is very easy to fill out. It's just a check form. Uh, and the other is a program. If you don't have either one of these or both of them, just raise your hand and somebody will come by and, and, and provide you with that. It's important to have the program because it's, sort of, it's, it's a complete program giving you a complete schedule of the, the, this debate. Uh, on my left, I would like to introduce... Uh, Sherry Bepke, who from Toastmasters International, and she will be the timekeeper. Uh, and I'll now introduce the panelists. Uh, Lynn Burnett has been active in higher education for some 16 years, teaching courses in health science, habit-forming substances, and emergency care at California State University in Fresno. City College and the Police Academy. He's co-chairman of the Fresno Drug and Alcohol Prevention Coalition and is the past chairman of the Fresno County Advisory Board on Drug Abuse. Additionally, he is the medical advisor to the Fresno County Sheriff's Department. Would you please welcome uh, Lynn Burnett. Bill Riddlesprager is an English instructor at Fresno City College. He's the former president of the Black Political Council, and he's currently the uh, president of the NAACP, the local chapter. Would you welcome Lynn, uh, uh, Bill Riddlesbaker? Thank you. 
Dick Simonian has some 20 years of experience with the Fresno County Adult Probation Services. He serves as the director of that agency um, of the Adult Probation Services since January of 1984. He was the superintendent of the long-term juvenile detention facility in Fresno, the C.K. Wakefield School, school from 1982 to 1984. Uh, Mr. Simonian has a Bachelor's of Arts degree in psychology. He's well-known statewide be because of his service as state president of the California Probation, Parole, and Corrections Association which is the largest such association in the United States. Mr. Simonian brings to the panel his experience from an enforcement perspective. Please welcome Richard Simonian. <laughs> Bela Washburn received her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Fresno State, San Francisco State. She is one of the founders of the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic, one of the leading clinics in the treatment of drug abuse. She began as a nurse in the uh, medical clinic and then was a drug abuse treatment counselor in the heroin detox unit from 1969 through 76. Bela helped found the special division of the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic called Rock Medicine, and they are contracted by promoters of rock concerts throughout the country to provide on-site emergency medicine at rock concerts. Bela brings to the panel her experience from the treatment perspective. Please welcome Bela Washburn. Doc Downing is a psychologist here in Fresno. He's the director of the Family Communication Center and the host of a television program uh, taking control of our lives. Your life. Your life. Uh, please welcome Doc Downing, who is the co-debater. Uh, co, uh, Charles Hunsinger is a Vietnam combat veteran. He's the for a former police officer. Uh, has been adjudicated an expert in uh, witness in marijuana and LSD testimony. He's a manufacturing executive, an author, an inventor, and founder of the and president of No, the Coalition to Stop Drugs and Their Legalization, one of the sponsors this evening. Please welcome Charles Hunsinger. Ray Ransberger is a restaurant owner in Visalia. He was a member of the Tulare County Grand Jury in 1978 and 1979. He ran for United States Congress in 1982. He's a concerned parent of four children, and he will be speaking on the affirmative tonight. Please welcome Mr. Ransberger. Marshall Fritz is the founder and full-time president of the Advocates for Self-Government, a nonprofit educational organization specializing in the libertarian philosophy. He received his Bachelor of Arts from Cal State Fullerton, where he majored, majored in business administration and economics. He is the captain of the affirmative team. Please welcome Mr. Fritz. It's fundamental to becoming a rational and mature and moral person that we at least go through a progress and a process of taking control of our own lives and assuming responsibility for those lives. And that process involves uh, concurrently uh, ceasing blaming others for what's happening to us. Implicit in that growth process is that we give up uh, trying to control others. 
And can we or should we extend these fundamentals regarding uh, our relationships with others uh, to the larger community and to the nation? And that's what this debate is about, as I see it. It's about uh, when, and if so, how much should we try to control the drug use of others? And will the attempt to control destroy what America is about? Is it possibly irrelevant to that question? Or will it destroy what America is about? The question is a complex one. The consequences of a wrong choice could be disastrous. I'd like to introduce at this time, to begin the debate, with the uh, affirmative constructive Marshall Fritz. Thank you, Mr. Moderator, and thank you, Chuck Hunsinger, for conceiving of this debate originally. I appreciate it. Thank you, my fellow debaters, panelists, timer, and the audience, all who are investing their time this evening to help us find better answers to drug abuse. Yes, you heard me correctly, drug abuse, the danger of drugs. I recognize this danger. I want people to stop using drugs. I want to live in a safer and more productive America. And I question the route we have taken in that direction for the last 74 years. My wife and I have four children. I want them safe from the ravages of drug addiction. I want them to be productive members of society I want to see them raise their children the same way and for my grandchildren to be safe. And I see the failure of the last 74 years as Americans have tried to legislate drugs out of existence. Let me tell you how this legislation failed to protect my family. A few years ago, my wife and I discovered that one of our children was using marijuana, cocaine, and crank. Not crack, crank. Neither of us had any real knowledge of what to do. We knew we needed help. We started looking for the right person to help that child. Who did we call for help? We called the same people you probably would. I called my pastor and several other clergymen. We were referred to counselors and clinics. The three of us, three of us my wife, my child, and I, kept visiting therapists until we found one all of us trusted could help our family. Within three months, I'm very glad to say that child was clean of illicit drugs, and I'm also glad to say that today she's even gotten rid of the, most, the biggest killer of them all, tobacco. I'm sure Dr. Downing can tell you of success stories from his practice similarly. Now, I said we did the same thing you probably would do if your brother, sister, daughter, or son got hooked on drugs. We called somebody who could help. We love that child. It did not even occur to my wife or to me to call the drug police. Let me be clear. We wanted to help, not punish, our child. All of us know the ultimate weapon of the criminal justice system is prison, guarded by guns. And the ultimate weapon of the counselor is love. We all know what comes out of a prison, not health, 
not self-control, not good self-image. These come from love, not from being behind bars. You love your child. You want them to get better, not worse. You know enough about drugs in prison to know that there is a better way for your child, your brother, or your sister. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a better way for other people's relatives, too. We need to find nonviolent ways to deal with drug abuse. But the better ways are frustrated by laws that wage a near war against drug users. It's not a war against drugs. It's a war against people, against ethnic and social minorities who use drugs that are not traditional or popular with the majority. You see, the pain of drugs is made even worse by threats of violence against the drug users. The violence of arrest and imprisonment is the cause of many of the problems related to drug use. In fact, most of the problems that we associate with drugs are actually the unfortunate byproduct of the drug laws themselves. And one of our jobs tonight is to unravel these two, the drugs and the drug laws, to see where are the problems coming from. I think that everyone here has the same objective, to keep drugs away from kids and off of the highways. No one needs to hear another painful story to convince us that drugs are bad. The question of this debate is not drugs. I think Judge Caton was absolutely correct. Our focus tonight is on drug laws. Do they help us to deal with drugs, or do they hinder our progress? Our question is whether the re-legalization of drugs will help Americans be safer and more productive. While no one can guarantee the future, I believe there is adequate expert testimony, enough evidence, and sufficient logic to conclude that Americans handled drugs better before they were criminalized in 1914, and we will do it again when they are re-legalized. We will be discussing two examples tonight, drug-related crime and drug-related disease. Men and women of good faith have been deceived by politicians many times. That's nothing new. It should come as no surprise that we have been deceived about one key issue on this whole drug debate issue. We have been told that drugs cause crime. But the truth is, police attempts to stop drug distribution caused the price to go up, and then the addict steals to support his habit. A 200 milligram per day habit of heroin equivalent costs $2.24 at Payless over on Blackstone, plus 20 cents for a clean needle. But if you add the law book to it, it costs over $100 a day, and that's the amount of theft it takes to support it. Mr. Moderator. Thank you, Mr. Fritz. And now for a negative cross-examination, Mr. Hunsinger. We will take a minute, uh, Mr. Moderator. All right.
I, I really respect you as a person. There's probably very few people in town that I respect even more than you. And I was really pleased and excited that your daughter was able to get over drugs as well as and as quick as she did. My problem is that that's unusual. And you made it sound simpler than it is because we know even in alcohol, which is not even as addictive, first of all, we have only a 10% people that even try for rehab, and of that 10%, only 38% make it. That's nationwide. The concern I have is that in doing, making it this simple, you don't deal with the cost of rehabilitation that is going to be a cost across everything, across the board. My concern is that, yes, when we use drugs, it's irresponsible. It's not using our head. It's destructive. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you see it as a responsible issue. I'm not sure. And the question is, is using drugs a responsible issue or is it irresponsibility? I think there's a use of drugs and there is a misuse or an abuse of drugs. I think there's many drugs that people use for pleasure or to stimulate themselves. Um, what percentage of us in this audience are drug users tonight? How many drink uh, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, or some other form of caffeine? May I see a show of hands of the drug users tonight? And how many of us would believe that there are not going to be quite as many hands? How many of us think that we use caffeine um, reasonably? We don't abuse it. We use it reasonably. May I see a show of hands? Okay. So the majority of our audience believes that they, as individuals, use drugs, at least some drugs, uh, moderately or uh, reasonably. And uh, all of us have had experiences. I used nicotine for 19 years, and I didn't use it responsibly, uh, equivalent of a two-pack-a-day habit. Been off of it for nine years. Stay that way. So I believe that there is both, both responsible and irresponsible use of drugs. Marshall, uh, I have another question here. I, if I am to understand you correctly, uh, you are advocating the lowering of prices on drugs across the board so that they would be more readily available to all people. Is that correct? Just a yes or no would be fine. Maybe. Well, can you, can, you, can you be a little bit more affirmative on that, a well, little bit more strong? All perhaps? people makes it sound like we're going to have uh, vending machines in uh, grade schools to sell heroin to uh, three-year-olds or, well, or think, uh, th third graders. And uh, I, think you know, I don't think a, I believe in that. I don't think there's a crazy person in the world that believes that. I think that. that's exactly the point here, Marshall. If you are advocating the lowering of prices of these narcotics to such an extent that would, they would be available to preschoolers, or grade schoolers, then I think we have a, a more significant problem than we have right now. All right. At this time, I'll introduce uh, Mr. Hunsinger, who will present the negative constructive. It is indeed a challenge to follow Marshall Fritz. My opponent, my worthy adversary this evening, is very glib and very sophisticated. 
and I respect him deeply because of that. My opponent's premise this evening is to prove that the legalization of drugs will build a safer and more productive America. If he fails to do that, he has lost. My opponent, although well-meaning, I am sure, is wrong in his assertion. His premise is false, and his conclusion is tantamount to national suicide. The use of drugs, as Marshall agreed to in part, is irresponsible. As an ex-police officer, I have never known an addict or an abuser of drugs to be a responsible person. I have never known this person to conduct himself reasonably. And this concerns me, because if we are advocating the legalization of drugs, we are giving our tacit approval to the irresponsibility that must indeed follow. I have read with great vigor the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights, and I have never found a freedom that gives us the right to be irresponsible. And the legalization of drugs will indeed do that. I have found such things as free speech, the right of a free press, the right to practice religion as we please, the right to assembly, and the right to bear arms. These are freedoms demanded of a free society. These freedoms must be participated in and practiced to maintain a free society. My experience in law enforcement and in manufacturing tell me that the people who use and abuse narcotics are not responsible people and do not participate in the freedom of this country and therefore become a millstone around its neck and further its demise. It is reasonable to conclude, I think, at this point, that the legalization of drugs weakens our resolve as a people, as a nation, to conduct ourselves responsibly, and in so doing may very well open the doors of totalitarianism, which must come aboard if we are in fact to stop the ensuing chaos that would develop from legalization of drugs. The word narcotic means numb. Webster defines numb to be insensible. In 1974, 5.4 million Americans used cocaine and became insensible. Insensible to their own safety, to the safety of others, and indeed to the needs of a free society. In 1982, 21.6 Americans, 21.6 million Americans partook of the drug cocaine and became insensible. As the availability of cocaine grows and its price decreases, more and more of us will use it, and more and more of us will become addicted to it, 
because cocaine has an addiction rate of 25 to 35 percent, as opposed to 8 percent in reference to alcohol. In the Bahamas, in the early 1980s, there was a drastic reduce in the price of street, in the price of street cocaine by 40 percent. The net result of this action was a 300 percent increase in psychiatric treatment of cocaine users and abusers. Is this what we want with legalization? Can we live with this in our society? I think not. And I do not think that the legalization of drugs will lead to a safer America. We have only to look around at our recent history to the readily available drugs that are now on the market and the cheaper drugs day by day to see the devastation. The legalization of drugs is unreasonable and it is unacceptable to a sane society. We know that after prohibition, alcohol consumption increased threefold. We know that the price of alcohol went up by 10%. And we know today that in this country, we have 100 million people who use and abuse alcohol to one extent or the other. Out of those 100 million people, we have 17 million alcoholics. And the cost of that figure, the cost of alcohol abuse in this country today is $155 billion a year, which you and I must pay. And we want to legalize narcotics. I don't think so. If history repeats itself, which it has a habit of doing, we will have 75 million cocaine users in this country. We will have, because of its high addiction rate, between 19 and 26 million cocaine addicts. Not to include heroin, PCP, an animal tranquilizer, we want to legalize it, and crack, which is four to five times as addicting as cocaine. The 35 million users of marijuana will increase to 105 million. America demands a thinking, reasoning mind. My time is up. Mr. Ransberger for the affirmative cross-examination. We'll take a minute for preparation. All right, one minute. I have several parts to a question. Uh, the first two will be for the uh, doctor, and, uh, and then there will be a, few, a couple for uh, uh, Charles. Uh, we are building prisons all over Central Valley. In fact, we're building the biggest women's prison in the world in Madera, as I understand it. And it costs more to send a person to prison than it costs to send one to college. 
My question, my first question for you, doctor, is what are the long-term effects on a person that is locked up? That is, he or she made a better citizen after release, more productive, or is he or she marked with less productivity? The question's premise is that it's cheaper to send somebody uh, to college than it is to prison, and I would agree with that. The premise is wrong in that it's cheaper to send them to prison than to a psychiatric hospital, and that's what you're doing. That's where the cost is. Is it more or less constructive for the person to go to a psychiatric hospital than to a prison? Certainly. Prisons are much better than psychiatric hospitals. They do better. Uh, I work in both. I've worked in both prisons and psychiatric hospitals. And the chances of getting through things and not regressing because the recidivism rate is so high with cocaine addiction that it doesn't even begin to pair with, compare with the prison addiction, recidivism. Then uh, the further question would be what uh, of the family, the wife, husband, the children of the released person, does this add to their productivity? The same By putting him in jail. The same question could be asked about putting him in a psychiatric hospital. Right now, we have such a low uh, cure rate, and there is no cure for once you've been addicted, you're always an addict. There is just no cure rate. We simply get remission of the symptoms. There is a lot better possibility to deal with therapy if you put them in prison. The families? Therapy is better in prison than it is anywhere else. The best place to put a person that has a problem, a psychological and a, a physiological got, problem, is in prison. If you've got a criminal and No, the law made him a criminal. Okay. We're, we're now wondering what we're going to do with a person that has the problem. I, I think a question here has to be asked from our side. Uh, we need some definition. Are we talking about uh, an addict who has not committed a crime against society, such as robbery, rape, uh, kidnapping, child molestation, burglary, etc., or are we just talking about a person who was caught shooting up? What are we talking about? Well, some child or person that had a, uh, too much marijuana. Hey, well, I'm not talking about marijuana. Marijuana, the use it's of... The of red light's on. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> Marshal Fritz for the affirmative rebuttal. Thank you. One effect of re-legalizing is that the price comes down. When the price comes down, the addict, the drug user, can afford their habit without resorting to thievery. Now, today, nicotine is legal. If your car is broken into and you lost your uh, tape player and the police come out, they don't say, oh, it's obviously uh, somebody trying to get some cigarette money. Even though we know that nicotine is addictive enough that that's exactly what would happen if we were to criminalize the use and the sale and distribution of nicotine. Drugs don't cause crime. When you uh, have a tooth problem and the doctor uh, uh, prescribes some morphine, 
You go home and take that opiate. He doesn't say start stealing. Thank you. Negative rebuttal, Doc Downing. Did you want some more time? She said your time was. The red light was left on. I thought that was the quick, quickest three minutes in the world, and I thought I could maybe make enough point by just being nice and polite. <laughs> and besides, he was using my cross-examination time to ask me questions and uh, didn't want to get testy or anything early on. I applaud you for that, Marshal. There you go. Where was I? Somebody have any idea where the script was? The little... Nicotine. Nicotine. And, and, yeah, you know, the dentist, he doesn't say, uh, well, you're going to have to start uh, snatching some purchase to pay for your uh, morphine. You're going to have the habit, you know, don't start stealing now. Because the drugs don't cause the crime. Chuck mentioned he's never known a responsible drug user. I ask him, does he know, at least from the history books, Thomas Edison, Sigmund Freud, Leo the Pope Leo XIII, all enjoyed their cocaine. Pope Leo so much, he gave a papal medal to his supplier. <laughs> Thomas Edison was awake five days, I think. I don't know if it was enjoying the cocaine or just, I think he invented the phonograph just to have some excuse, you know, for his, uh, his fun there. William Halstead, the founder, one of the founders, the four founders, the John, Han John Johns Hopkins. Hopkins, thank you, Johns. I'll get the S in the right place eventually. Thank you, Johns Hopkins. Medical school was a morphine user all of his adult life. 180 milligrams a day. Not even his best friends know. People can function. Many people are caffeine users, raise their hands here today already. Secondly, we need to show that not only are we safer, and I'm saying safer from crime, more productive because our users of these drugs become productive members of society instead of outcasts. You become more productive. You don't have as many thefts coming against you. You use your money for more valuable things for you. You buy your kid this year a um, computer for Christmas rather than uh, investing in a burglar alarm. And that's real productivity when you have a computer, something you want. The productivity of burglar alarms just, just you know, keeps us from falling backwards. It isn't really taking us ahead as a society. Also, we'll be safer in terms of health. How did AIDS leap from the homosexual community to the heterosexual community? A great deal of that leap came from the shared needles. Why did the heroin addicts share needles? because it was illegal for many years to sell them needles. Still illegal in most states to be in possession of a needle without a doctor's prescription for insulin or something. Some misbegotten politician thought he could get your vote by hurting the, the uh, drug addict by saying it wasn't going to allow him to have needles. We voted for that politician and look what we have. They still, use, they still get this stuff into their veins. It's the logical equivalent of someone saying we can feed the people in Ethiopia by sending them spoons. Thank you. Negative rebuttal, Doc Downing. 
Marshall, you're right. If the war on drugs is to make any sense at all, it must meet three criteria. One is it must be possible to win. I think you would agree. It must cost less than giving up. And it must have convincing justification for it. Let me start with the first one. It must be possible to win. You're right. In 1850 is when heroin started coming and cocaine started coming into the United States. And from 1850 to around the first, well, the middle of, of the 19, uh, 1890, it got bigger and bigger and bigger until in 1900 it was declared a national emergency, a disaster. Freud, Sigmund Freud, who used cocaine, also ate his nose off doing in the process. The whole process became so repugnant to the country that they passed in, 19, in 1914, the Harrison Act, which made the start of the war on drugs for the first time. And by 1960, we were doing good. Heroin was down to 1% in the United States. By the way, it's back down to that. What we did is we did fight and we did win. The war in drugs is winnable, and we have done it before. If this nation can see it as a major social problem, and I think we all do, and then see it as worth winning. Two, the cost. The cost. Can it, is, is the cost of raging the war less than giving up or more? That's the question. Well, part of that is depends on a thing we've learned about cocaine, and that is the way it works. It works very different than heroin and alcohol. Heroin and alcohol are depressants. Cocaine re directly affects the reward system of the brain, and rats will eat it, and people will too, rather than eat. And they will die rather than eat, because co cocaine is that addictive. Crack is even more so, because it's more the same. In Colombia, in an article out of uh, 12 Reasons to Legalize Drug, it says that cocaine can be bought in Colombia for $3 a, a gram. In America, it costs us $60 in the medical market to produce it, to cleanse it, to make sure it's tested and evaluated. $60 versus $3. If there is, and there are, from facing the up to drugs, there are f over five, almost six million hardcore cocaine addicts right now in America. And that's growing almost at a million a year. To supply these people with cocaine at the $60 rate, you're looking at $127 billion a year. That's not cheap. Even at the $3 that you could buy it in, or 3 to $4 you can buy it in Colombia, you're still looking at $85 billion a year. That's, we're, we're pay, we would end up paying more if we do it. Now, if you give it away to the people, we end up subsidizing it. If we make them pay for it, if we make them pay for it, it is the rich that will be able to pay for it, the children, the poor, and the blacks. The minorities are going to be the ones who still end up stealing, who still import it, because you can still import it a lot cheaper than we can sell it, and you will sell it dirty. Then what's going to happen is the gangs, if, you give it a, if, you, if you're selling it in controlled conditions, the gangs will still undercut us. You're not going to do away with anything. 
There's another interesting thing because we're looking at 85 billion, 127 billion. You know, these are the figures we're looking at. And that doesn't count the cost of the doctor. Well, this is just the cost of the cocaine. And that doesn't cost any other drugs we're talking about. The cost of a doctor to administer that or to, to sell that is going to up it. If they were going to charge taxes for it, it'd be up again. And again, you're going to have black market. You're going to have people coming in. This is exactly what happened in England. England's drug program failed miserably. They basically got what we have now, the same sort of thing. The cost of rehabilitation for one person right now nationally is $14,000. Add that to the pot, and you're looking at trillions a year, literally trillions of dollars a year. Is it justifiable? Can we have convincing, justifiable reasons to legalize the drug problem, to legalize this? If we sell cocaine, then what the, what the gangs are going to do is they end up selling it. Of course, we're not going to sell it to children. I can't imagine us doing that. You wouldn't advocate that. But if we sell it, then the gangs will just turn on our children and the minorities, and they will undercut it. And the children and the minorities are going to be the one who are targeted. The next victims will be the rave because they're the ones who can't get it and they still want to make money. 73% of all the kids who died in child abuse in New York were beaten and abused by people who were on drugs. 73%. That's a tremendous cost. 43% of the people who went to the emergency room because of drugs were black. Children, blacks, are going to be the thing. What we're going to find is that the drug becomes, if you legalize it, chemically, we will have an apartheid system that racial, the racial people, the, the minorities, and the poor, and the children will be targeted. Thank you, Doc. Uh, affirmative rebuttal, Mr. Ransberger. Were you all listening as close as I was to that? I, I think he made a, some really good points for us. I heard, uh, I heard him talk about uh, that the gangs would be in place and there would be dirty, illicit drugs out on the street and that it would have cost a lot of money and that people in New York are going to hospitals because and children are being abused because there's drugs on the street. Yes, there's drugs on the street and there's laws against that drug on the street. But I'm happy tonight because we're talking about it. We're talking, we're beginning even on the national basis, William F. Buckley, Milton uh, Friedman, uh, Horowitz uh, from Harvard, uh, mayors throughout the country are starting to talk about we've got to find other directions. I didn't come here to condemn or condone substance abuse. And if you and I choose to say no, let that be our personal standard. And I think it's right. We all have knowledge of loved ones and brothers and sisters, schoolmates and friends that have been caught in the terrible web of drug abuse and the inconsistent laws pertaining to drugs. You know, there's a kingpin, a kingpin principle of law enforcement. 
and, and it works on all of us. We all think that if we can just catch that kingpin, that big boy that's financing this and selling it, if we can put him away, and some people will even say that we should kill him or her, that that will solve all our drug problems. Or all we have to do is get that one big bust. We can get six million, four million, seventy million dollars worth of drugs off the street. That's going to solve the problem. Well, that's wrong. Because if you catch the one big kingpin or you get the one big bust, what happens is there's five lieutenants waiting to take his place. And if there's 12 of them out there, there's 60 of them waiting to take his place. If there's 100 kingpins, I don't know where these kingpins are. We've been looking for them since 1914. The war on drugs is wrongly named. It's a war on people. People are going to jail. And ironically, when you get there, you can find all the drugs that you want or don't want. And there's four steel walls and there's steel bars and there's guards and walls and barbed wire fence and still there's any kind of drug you want inside the jail so much for law enforcement solution to the problem. Marshal Fritz and I... <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hear what Marshall Fritz and he had done, but uh... all right, this is the time for the intermission, and uh, I do want to remind you that the uh, the response form, uh, if you can fill it out, is very simple. Maybe you want to wait till later. All right, so we'll take a uh, twenty-minute intermission. Welcome back. Uh, we'll now turn to the uh, panelists' questions. Uh, Mr. Burnett, Mr. Riddlesberger, Mr. Simonian, and Ms. Washburn. And we'll begin with Mr. Burnett. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'll tell you what, three minutes goes very, very quickly, so instead of asking questions, I think I'll just make some uh, brief comments. Let's try to put some kind of perspective on this uh, discussion of legalization of drugs. If I were to propose that uh, it be made perfectly legal in the United States for anyone to walk into a pharmacy, and get whatever medication he decided to obtain. Most of you would probably be pretty uncomfortable with that, even if you didn't plan on doing it. If Mr. Fritz got chest pain and he walked into a pharmacy and said, I'd like some digitalis, please, and they handed it over, why we'd be sort of uncomfortable with that, number one, because he might kill himself if he became digitoxic, number two, because then we would, speaking selfishly, lose his contributions to our society, lose his tax dollars, uh, and everything else. Uh, let's uh, be honest about this, shall we? And yet what we're talking about here is uh, to legalize something which may not only injure the individual, and you know, you can just run down the litany. Uh, PCP elevates the body temperature. You have people who drown in an inch of water in the bathtub. Is that what we want people doing? Do we want individuals who take cocaine, who develop uh, certain abnormalities within their heart and drop dead? Do we want an individual who's on PCP walking down the street and it's perfectly legal for him to do so and if he decides to take umbrage it's something that you do or say he beats the tar out of you or stabs you 35 times or whatever else. 
really that's what we're talking about. Is it good for the individual? No. And we've made laws to uh, keep people from killing themselves. Is it good for society? No. And we've made laws to protect society. So that's my, my primary thesis, and I would hope that as you consider this, you, you hold that up for uh, some in-depth analysis. Secondly, just let me uh, hit on some high points here very quickly. Uh, Mr. Uh, Ransberger said that we all look for the kingpin, go by the kingpin principle, and it's the responsibility of the individual. I couldn't agree more. Everybody has to take responsibility for their own actions. When they don't, I don't think we throw up our hands as a society and say, well, you know, we did the best we could vis-a-vis -vis education or whatever else. Then I think enforcement plays a role. Has enforcement worked? Depends upon how you want to look at it. You look at states wherein the uh, legal age for drinking is 21 versus those states where the legal age is 18, you see a much higher incidence of uh, injury accidents and fatal accidents wherein young people can drink prior to the age of 21. Well, if they're going to drink anyway, quote unquote, then why do we see that differential? It's because a lot of people do obey the law, and that may come as a surprise to uh, some of us, but uh, that's very, very true. Uh, another comment, uh, and how are we doing? We're still on green light. Great. Uh, I believe it was Marshall said that, uh, gee, why do we have the AIDS problem extending into the heterosexual community? It's because of the sharing of needles, et cetera. And if we made drugs legal, people wouldn't be sharing needles. <clears throat> Bela can certainly speak to this. Part of the drug-taking experience is the sharing of needles. And they've found in communities wherein they're providing free needles to people, sterile needles that they go ahead and continue to use. And I see I've got a red light, uh, needles that have been used by someone else. And I'll hit on some more points later on. Thank you. You know, I feel like the odd one up here, and it's probably not because I'm the only black person up here. Uh, I think it's a problem that we're really talking about a serious problem. And I think the levity and some of the laughter concerning this problem doesn't really befits the problem that we have here in America. And most of these people are more or less experts, and I'm not. But I'm saying that basic common sense tells you that you read in the paper every day that people actually kill themselves using drugs. I mean, even the people that are claiming that the legalization of drugs will build a safer and productive America, in the same breath will tell you that it's evil or bad and that it's wrong. And a person that has had a child that has had a problem with drugs. Now, how do you tell a child not to do something if the law tells them that it is legal for them to do. I mean, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> and I'm saying that we're really going to have to start facing this problem. You know, uh, they have the same arguments during the civil rights movement. The fact that you could not uh, change people's heart or legalize their hearts. That's true. But you could make someone, if they break the law or they felt like they were going to lynch a black person, you could make them pay for that crime. And I do not see how legalizing drugs would help. Thank you. Good evening. This has been interesting so far. Being a probation officer for the past 20 years, I get to see both sides of the fence. And sometimes I like to stand in the middle of the fence and look to both sides. Makes it a little simpler that way. Over the years, I've had my fill of writing reports and recommending people go to prison, some for the rest of their lives. By the same token, I've had my fill of 
finding juveniles and adults and being a social worker and counseling them and trying to get them on the road to recovery and uh, good, good citizenship. I want to say something that's not frivolous. I'm going, to, I'm going to read you a little poem. It may sound frivolous, but it's not. Uh, Marshall mentioned caffeine. Somebody else mentioned tobacco. <laughs> By this little poem, I want to make a point. Here's the poem. It's called, uh, But I Like It. The tobacco is a dirty weed, but I like it. It makes you cough. It makes you wheeze. It'll rot the hair right off your bean. It's the worst damn stuff I've ever seen, but I like it. Now, what would happen right now if I took out a cigarette and lit it up in this room? Think anybody would say anything? Damn straight they would. Think they would have said anything 10 years ago? No way. When you walked into this room 10 years ago, there'd have been ashtrays in this room. There'd have been ashtrays by the door. There'd been ashtrays up here. Some of the panelists that have been smoking. What's happened in the last 10 years? Education. Education's happened. I don't believe in legalizing drugs for the same reason Bill just stated. I don't like the prison system. I don't like the criminal justice system. It's very expensive. It's not productive. But the way you stop the use of drugs in this country is education. Start teaching. Start teaching your kids from the time they're old enough to listen that drugs kill you, drugs screw up your life, drugs make you a failure and a loser. Now this Just Say No campaign has been built in a kind of a frivolous Nancy Reagan type thing. Bullshit. It's a good program. My four-year-old daughter, when I light up a cigarette, says, Dad, put out your cigarette. That's because mom keeps telling her, Dad's cigarettes stink, Dad's going to have a heart attack, what's the matter with you? Now why don't we do the same thing with drugs? The schools are trying to educate kids not to use drugs. We've got excellent programs in this county, in this city, in this state, across the country. There aren't enough of them. In another 15 years, cigarettes will be passe. People won't smoke. 5%, 2% might smoke. 10 years ago, 40%. 20 years ago, 50% of the population in the United States smoked cigarettes down to 25%. Another 10 years, 10%, 5%. Education. Cigarettes are bad for you. Drugs are worse. Thank you. Hello. I would like to commend Mr. Simone, and I agree with him in his ideas about education. Um, I I'm in no way thrilled with the problems that we have in America with drug use and abuse, but I advocate that, that drugs should be legalized because I see the problem with drug use and treatment and education as separate from the illegality of it. And we're spending all kinds of money on the, the court system and jails that isn't doing any good. All of that money could be used for education and treatment programs that really may help. Um, I think that the war on drugs that we're having um, doesn't do any good. For 70 some odd years we've been trying to fight the use of drugs and it hasn't worked. So what can you do? You can either ban them entirely, which I believe is really unrealistic. I don't think you're going to get all the countries that grow it to, to stop exporting it. Or you can have this war on drugs. What does that do? You eliminate some kingpins, maybe you eliminate huge suppliers, but what have you done? You've increased the price of the drug because you've lowered the supply, so you've increased more crime because people need more money to get it. I have 
treated a lot of people that are um, addicted to drugs. And I think there's a myth that when you're on drugs, you want to go out and commit crimes and, and uh, perpetrate violence. Most of these people just want to get high and sit back wherever they are. But, you know, the bane of existence for most drug abusers is as soon as they get their drugs, then they have to start thinking about where are they going to get the money to get the next one. When this wears off, they're going to be sick. Um, you know, these people are choosing drugs. They're not choosing crime, but they have no other choice. I believe that you should have the right to choose whatever it is you do to your own body, as long as you're not harming anybody else. It's unfortunate that people choose to harm themselves. It is unfortunate, but with the drugs being illegal, they're not only harming themselves, they're harming us because they're creating violence, they're ripping off our personal property, they're, they're engaging in prostitution, the spread of disease and corruption. I think that legalizing drugs doesn't eliminate the problem, but it eliminates a big portion of it so we can concentrate on education and treatment. Punishing people doesn't do it. It hasn't done it so far. Thank you. All right, any comments or questions by the panelists? Uh, Mr. Rigger, Mr. Burnett. Did I catch you on? No. Okay. Bela, you're a, let me give you a hypothetical very quickly. You're a nurse in a medical floor. Uh, and you have a patient with condition X. Are you comfortable with that patient self-medicating in addition to whatever drug orders the physician has set down? Yes, I believe that there have been studies that show when people have been given the option of self-medicating themselves, they use less um, morphine and um, painkillers than when no. it's administered. Okay, I didn't construct the question properly. What I'm saying is not that they titrate the dosage per their need, but rather that they say in addition to taking the morphine sulfate, I choose to take uh, some Demerol, which I got off the street, and some uh, xylocaine and uh, just whatever other concoction they have. Are you comfortable with that? Well, I'm comfortable with it if they're honest about what they're doing. If, if it's legal and they can admit exactly what it is they have and they're taking, the doctor will, you know, alter his dosage to not over-medicate. You don't think that would drive you nuts as a nurse? Huh? Well, it probably would okay. <laughs> in the present system. Okay. I need to make a, a, two quick comments regarding education. Uh, <laughs> and I'm the educator, one of the educators sitting up here on the panel, uh, and I hate to raise this, but uh, you have to look at the type of educational program. When you get into, uh, here's what drugs are, here's what they do, et cetera, they found in several different studies that drug use goes up when you look at uh, middle school, uh, high school students. And uh, when you ask them in, uh, uh, we have, what, two minutes? When you ask them in uh, confidential questionnaires what their drug use pattern consists of, and when you see it's increased, why? It's because they think now they know how to use the drug safely. Uh, so you need to look at what you're concentrating on. Secondly, uh, other studies have been done. Uh, do drugs cause crime? Sure. When you look at drug addicts who have a criminal record, uh, did they uh, go into crime after they began to use drugs? No, most of them were criminals before they began to use drugs, and I can give you the citations on that. Thank you. Judge, do I have time to comment the one at Lynn's comments? Wynn's correct when he says on education, when you do it in the middle schools and the high schools, as far as I'm concerned, it has absolutely no value. What I'm talking about is kindergarten, first grade, second grade. You have an opportunity to mold attitudes. I like to use the word which the Chinese use, brainwashing. 
Uh, it's a dirty word and people don't like it, but that's the truth. Your kids will become what you want them to become, and they can become that very quickly. They learn their good habits and their bad habits from their parents and the people, that, the adults that they're around. What we're seeing is the same thing with, I said, as an example on cigarettes. Young children are forming patterns that this is not good for you. It may be a, a, a national brainwashing effort, if you want to call it that, but that's how you end up cutting off the supply. There, if there's no demand, there's no supply. If the kids don't want to use this garbage by the time they're 14 and 15, who's going to sell it? You can't sell uh, brand new Cadillacs in the middle of Sahara Desert. There's no roads to drive them on. You can't give them away. If kids realize drugs are no good for you, nobody buys. Our big kingpins dry up and go away. Our jails and prisons empty. So yes, education has to be done at the right time, and it's got to be done with the small kid. It's got to be done by adult citizens who believe that drugs are bad for you, just like they believe cigarettes are bad for you. We will eventually get rid of cigarettes. Even somebody like me that smoked for 30 years will eventually stop or die, one or the other. Let's talk about the freedom. And I think it's very important to understand that it's impossible to have freedom without some type of restriction. And all of us know that the Constitution guarantees uh, freedom of speech. But we know what would happen if someone got in a crowded theater and hollered fire because it would endanger other people's lives there. That's the same concept when you say a person has the personal freedom to take something into their body as long as it's their body. But once they take that substance in their body, they're not responsible for what they can do to another person. And we... And we also must remember that everything in America in a capitalistic society tends to revolve around price. If we take, make it legal, then we won't have to worry about someone ripping off our property. There's something more important than material. Lives are more important than property. They brought a bunch of black people here in the first place for the reason of profit. We've got to start looking at human lives and seeing human beings' lives as more important than money. I just have a couple of comments. One is um, all this bantering about of price. I mean, to me, the point is that drugs are expensive. Illegal drugs are expensive. Um, the cost, the actual cost of the drugs is not expensive. So there's no need to, to get huge amounts of money. You know, there's no need to go out and rip somebody off or, or stab somebody or mug somebody. Um, and that's, you know, where the price comes in for me. It's not a, in terms of the value of human life. Um, and I have another small comment, and that is I've dealt with a lot of kids, and I noticed that there is a, a large percentage of kids that do drugs because it's illegal, you know, because they're in that rebellious state in their early teenage years, and it's a way of rebelling, and the attraction is the illegality of it, not necessarily the drug. All right, this is an open question and answer period. Anybody wish to start? Mr. Fritz? Several people have brought up race tonight, and I wonder how many of the uh, panelists or, and, and fellow debaters are aware of the racism basis in much of our drug legislation. The uh, opiates were originally outlawed as a way to hinder the Chinese. 
Cocaine was originally outlawed as a, in a wave of anti-black racism around the turn of the century. It went so far as for one federal report, quote, this is 1910, cocaine is often the direct incentive of the crime of rape by Negroes in the South and other sections of the country. Southern sheriffs switched to 38 caliber pistols because they heard that cocaine-crazed black criminals were invulnerable to smaller calibers. Much of what we're having today, I believe, as uh, the pains in our society are the result of the racism, uh, the unfortunate um, racism, of our grandfathers and great-grandfathers. And race has been brought up a couple of times tonight, and I wonder if our panelists are aware and sensitive to the racism that uh, is the origin of these drug laws. I think, speaking as a black person, uh, when I think of the drug problem in the black community, I'm often reminded of the movie The Godfather, when white folks, when drugs was not a problem until it started affecting white people. So it's been a problem that black people have dealt with for a long time because of racism in America. But now that it has spilled over from the black ghettos and it's affecting your children like it has historically have affected, but now it becomes a problem. We got the first lady in the White House talking about saying no. But the line in The Godfather, as long as it was affecting just black people, I'm saying that that might be racism, but I'm saying what's bad for black people is also bad for white people. I have, a, I have a second question there that I'd like to direct to the audience. Mr. Riddlesbrigger said that people kill themselves using drugs, and how do you tell a child not to do something if the law says it's okay or the law isn't against it? And there was a good round of applause there. I'd like to ask this question directly to the people who applauded at that moment. How many of you believe that adultery is wrong? May I see a show of hands? Marshall, I would like now, to interrupt may I ask a second. I may, now, may I, I ask? Because I don't see what adultery has to do with the legalization of drugs. Now, may I ask this? We're talking about the law, and you're going to hear what We're this has to do with it. We're talking about narcotics, with our, which are life and death issue here. Just a We're moment. not talking about sin or adultery. Gentlemen, please. You both can't talk at the same time. Mr. Fritz, go ahead and complete, and then uh, Mr. Hunsinger, you can respond. My second question is, of those of us who believe that adultery is against the law, how many of us wish to see it recriminalized so that a person goes to jail for committing adultery? May I see a show of hands? One. And now, how do you tell your child that adultery is wrong? You just tell them it's wrong, and you say the government doesn't have anything to do with it. And we all do it, and we should be telling our kids it's wrong, and we don't say, find out what the government says to do, and do that, otherwise you become a Nazi or a communist. I would like to ask one question of Mr. Fritz. One question, just one Just one short question. I just would like to ask him, when is the last time that he's known anyone that has screwed themselves to death? Since, since I don't know such a, uh, a 
Since Mr. Mr. Hunsager, uh, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Since Mr. Fritz is very concerned about the moral issue, I would like to ask a question. Marshall, knowing that narcotics can kill an individual, can distort his life, his dreams, his hopes, his career, the ones who love him, how do you tell this person, go ahead and use these drugs? How do you define, how in the hell do you define hypocrisy? In what definition now do you give to empathy, compassion, and love? I'll answer that very quickly. If you've ever seen a person overdose on hang gliding or skydiving, you've seen a person who has really hurt themselves. Now, tell me about Mr. Hypo hypocrisy, Mr. Hunsinger. Are you willing to criminalize hang gliding and skydiving? Mr. Mr. Fritz, uh, your analogies leave a great deal to be desired. I see nothing to do with hang gliding that has any relevance at all to the issue of legalization of drugs. I don't see someone hang gliding, getting into a car, and killing someone because they're intoxicated. <laughs> well, uh, the terrible things that drugs do to people is also not the question here. The question here is, will legalization make a safer and more productive America? And I believe that uh, getting off in, in glib comments and, and uh, talk about how bad drugs are and what they do to people is a moot question because we all agree to that. What we're trying to do now is open up our society so that we can treat these drug problems with compassion, with understanding, with love, so that we'll start setting up the counseling uh, agencies, so we'll start setting, getting the, the clergy prepared and the schools prepared and individual parents and children prepared to take this responsibility on of personally deciding whether they're going to use drugs or not. Now I think that that's going to create a safer society and get us away from this criminal subculture that we're developing each and every day. Dr. Downing, go ahead. The idea of a convincing justification for legalizing drugs, I'm still having a trouble with that because of the, what you're going to end up with is, again, a chemical apartheid. People who cannot afford the treatment, people who are not, do not have the families to support them through that, like your daughter did. I think that was wonderful. People who do not have that will be, again, the poor, the disenfranchised of our country. The cost, even if we legalize it, it'll be cheaper for somebody to go to Colombia, buy two pounds of cocaine, for, and come back and sell it in America for $1,100. I mean, that's still, they can make a tremendous amount of money. You're not going to, by legalizing it, get away from the black market. You're still going to have the people. Marshall, I would like to challenge you to quit debating whether drugs should be legalized or not. But let's get on with fighting and getting it and getting the war on and making drugs illegal so we can stop the carnage on our streets and in our homes and in our prisons. 
Mr. Burnett. Thank you. I'd like to flesh out just a little bit uh, how far you carry your, uh, your proposal. Uh, first of all, uh, am, am I correct that you would, would not make it perfectly okay for anyone under any circumstances to be under the influence of drug X? Is that correct? Are, are there any restrictions that you would apply or not? Um, most of the time when people uh, think of what is going to happen when a person is on drugs, it thinks of some criminal act. All those criminal acts are going to stay in place. Fraud, coercion, force against another person or group of people or this audience is still in place. The law reinforcement of, of those acts. But that does not automatically assume that everyone that uses drugs is a criminal. It is now, under the present system, everyone that uses drugs is a criminal and is put in that subculture. Okay, if I may, just let me run down some, some list of things. I'm a police officer and I'm about ready to go on duty. Is it okay that I'd be under the influence of uh, cocaine? Yes or no? Just yes or no, if well, you would. Well, uh, if you're going to ask a question with one word, I'll answer the question with one word. Well, otherwise, I, I, just, otherwise, I just want to flesh some things out. Otherwise, I'm, I'm, I'll answer the question in that okay. your law enforcement agency or the person that you work for can have whatever restrictions that they choose to on you. Oh, and okay. I suppose they would because of their liability insurance. Okay. I'm a school teacher, and I'm ready to go in and present a class to uh, seventh grade students. Is it okay that I'd be under the influence of uh, uh, depressant X? I think what Ray is trying to say, and I'll try to say it myself, is that that's a contract between the employer and the employee. And I believe that any employer in the school business would make it a matter of, of hiring that you not be under the influence when you're teaching the kids. Okay. Hey, same as alcohol. A disc uh, jockey uh, business, so what do they call the disco kind of a thing? A, uh, the owner of a disco may not have the same standards for the person who's the, uh, the disc jockey spinning the records as the, the, the school district has for the school kid. And that's, that's reasonable. Very true. I'm the President of the United States, and uh, things are tenuous with the You're Soviet You're really getting Union. up there now. That's, that's right. We're, we're, we're just moving up. Do you feel comfortable with the fact that uh, to settle me down why I've just taken, um, well, again, uh, well, maybe, yeah, maybe he had some cocaine and uh, some amobarbital. You keep wanting us to defend the use of uh, drugs, and that isn't going to happen here tonight. But uh, we said at the beginning that we're not going to defend the use of drugs. But you want to make it legal and, for me, and, right? Uh, uh, what's happening is, is it's being used today. You forget to look at the facts that people are using drugs today, and we've been in a law enforcement position for 74 years. <clears throat> If, Your if president may, can be using it today. May, just one quick comment. Okay, yeah. If I may, what I'd just like to point out is it's fascinating how they say that legalization of drugs will provide for a safer and more productive America, and yet they backtrack consistently when you start bringing up specifics. Thank you. Dr. Downing? Most... Oh, wait, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I gave you two extra minutes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what's been presented here, uh, of course, appears to be two choices, legalized or not legalized. And it reminds me of a, um, a comment by Mae West that she said, when I'm faced with choosing between two evils, uh, I'll, try the I'll, I'll choose the one that I haven't tried. So uh, in your question and answers, which, are, which comes now on this program, 
Um, you're certainly not limited to uh, questions and answers as they direct to the two choices that have been presented here. So I think all the persons here are, are open to uh, any comments or questions you have. And is Jim going to come forward and conduct this promotion? All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, first of all, before we start the question and answer, I would like to take this opportunity on behalf of the college, the Union Programs Committee, uh, to thank our distinguished panel, Ms. Washburn, Mr. Simonian, Mr. Riddlesberger, and Mr. Burnett. I'd like to thank Mr. Ransberger and uh, Dr. Downing for also coming this evening. I would especially like to thank uh, Chuck Huntsinger and Marshall Fritz for being in touch with me in our office uh, to bring you this program this evening and also our distinguished moderator, Judge Kainan. At this time, we'll be opening the floor for questions, and just to let you know, we'll be alternating mics on either side, so if you'd like to form two lines, that would be appreciated. I have two things I want to say, first of all, that I think everybody up here, um, except for Mr. Ransberger, has come with an open mind and, and looking for something to I think cover everything in order to, you know, come to a conclusion. They don't. You know, you're coming with closed minds. You're not opening yourself up for possibilities. First of all, the thing that I put on my questionnaire is this: No one, government or otherwise, has any right to dictate to me or anyone else what I should do to myself or what I should put in my body. <laughs> Second, the drug laws that are, are now in effect are not working. You know, we should stop banging our head against a brick wall. It's not working. And I put maybe in quotation marks when I say this, we should look at other alternatives that are not punishment-oriented, but encompass understanding and intelligence. Can I, can I respond to that? We won the war on drugs once, from 1914 to 1960. It worked. <laughs> from 1960, it has not worked, because we forgot what it's about. I think that uh, all of us would agree that the real handle on the situation is education. I'm rather dismayed to find uh, Mr. Simonian over here talking about brainwashing. I think that's what happened uh, before the 60s when kids got back into drugs, discovered that blowing a little pot was a whole hell of a lot more comfortable than getting drunk, and wondered if what they'd been told uh, had been all lies, and consequently now we have uh, a great deal of drug addiction. Uh, I, I think that education nowadays in this area is being confused with indoctrination. That's what's happening, and it's not going to work in the long run. Uh, you might get a kid growing up saying, you know, just saying no, but sooner or later this person is going to begin to think. And when he begins to think, he's going to wonder if what he's been told uh, is valid and is going to start to experiment. If you don't tell them the truth, and I mean the truth about all drugs, not just, you know, they're all bad for you. It's ridiculous. Uh, there's gradients here. Uh, you're going to get yourself in a whole lot of trouble here and just going to repeat the cycle. I'd like you to address that, Mr. Simone, if you would, please. Agreed. First off, you know, I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, and we used to, they used to bring police officers and so on in the classroom and they'd light a piece of hemp rope and say, well, this is what marijuana smells like and if you smoke it, you're going to go blind and you're going to kill yourself. And You know, it was craziness. When you're a little kid, you start oh, believing oh, sure. that stuff. Uh, 
or at least you respect officers. In those days, uh, you were taught to have respect for police, and, and, and most kids did. You always had the few that didn't. Unfortunately, I think during the 60s, the late 60s, we perpetrated a lie on the American public. Like we had LSD, we had a lot of the hallucinogenic drugs, we had people saying they were going blind because they were looking into the sun. We just, we just, San Francisco Examiner, I remember when they first came out with the article about smoking uh, bananas. They told you how to uh, peel the banana, lay it out in the sun, do certain things for it, then scrape the inside out, roll it up and smoke it. They were talking about shooting mayonnaise into your arms. Craziness, just craziness. And I think we had a whole generation there that went out and experimented for themselves and found out that didn't happen. That, that those things didn't work, but other drugs did. Other drugs did, in fact, make you feel good. I think we do have to be honest with what we tell people. But I think we have to do it in a long term, a 10-year period. We have to be honest with the kids. We have to do it up front. We can't lie. I, it bothers the hell out of me when I see a 23-year-old athlete for the Atlanta Falcons overdosed on cocaine. The kid's making $400,000 a year, and he overdoses on cocaine. He's not a stupid guy. Got his whole life in front of him. All right, next I question. I can't buy into some of that stuff. Next question. Hi. I would like to, I would like to make a few comments, and I would like to pose a few questions. Uh, first of all, I want to ask Mr. Downing that uh, he said the war on drugs is winnable. Uh, I think that's kind of a joke, you know. If it was winnable, it would have been won by now. And if it was won once, then why did we lose it again, you know? And that itself. And the second thing I would like to ask uh, Mr. Downing again is, he said that the drug rate would be undercut by gangs, you know, should we make it, Ill should we make it illegal? Or, or should we make it legal, I'm sorry. I want to ask him that why isn't the alcohol rate undercut by gangs? Alcohol is legal, you know. And the answer to that is, I am in favor of something like, you may, if you make drugs legal, put a 400% duty on it. And then with the money which you make, you put it in education, and then the people will come up front. They will be raised, you know. They won't have to go underground. And so you'll have a better chance of treating them. And now by uh, putting a 400% tax, you would say that it will be undercut. It won't be undercut, because according to, your, according to uh, one of the statistics which was given here, one milligram of, uh, of heroin was $2.24 uh, in uh, Colombia. In USA, it sells for over $100. So that means if you raise it 400%, it would sell for like $8 or $9, you know. And therefore, few people would be, few gangs would be will, willing to take a risk for such a small amount of uh, profit. And uh, can I answer a couple of these before we lose it? Yeah, let's, let's get Let a response. Let me answer a couple. Okay. Go ahead. First of all, you, I think the question you ask is, it's, it's echoing up here, it's hard to hear. Uh, the question about how come if we, we won it once, how come we're losing it? And I think that the issue is we became very aware in the 1900s, in the early 1900s, how devastating and what a wreaking havoc it was doing in the country. The opium dens, the whole business became so unacceptable. We forgot that in the 60s. By the way, uh, I have the statistics right here. Cocaine, well, heroin use is, we are winning on heroin, by the way. Heroin use is down. From, this is from 1975 to 1987. It has gone steadily down. LSD has gone steadily down. 
We can and we're losing, and we are. Even PCP is going steadily down. The only one that's going up is cocaine. And that's partially because it's so addictive. It's a different kind. And another parallel that you were asking about uh, legalizing in alcohol. Of course, you know, of course, in Holland they have. And uh, at the present time, the cost in insurance and property loss has skyrocketed in Holland. It is the highest it's ever been, and it's getting out of sight. Even legalizing it does not do away with it. It creates more problems. Okay, you wait just a moment. Next yeah. question. Over here, please. Oh. <laughs> I was just listening. Hi. I work with students every day in the issue of alcohol and drug counseling. Okay. And um, I am totally against legalizing drugs. When I talked to my drug group a few weeks ago and I showed them the tape that they, uh, of a show I taped off of television on legalizing drugs, I asked them, I said, what do you think would happen if drugs were legal? And they said, well, more people would use them, especially the drug group, the users themselves, the ones that are already using drugs. And I feel that's the same thing that would happen to the American public. What I have to say here, the question that I have for people that are for legalizing drugs is, are you going to, number one, take responsibility for the people who end up uh, high on cocaine, PCP, marijuana, whatever, uh, going into a blackout stage, killing people, uh, they could do anything when they're at that point, okay? Uh, rape could go up, anything could go up. Crime will go up if it's legal because people won't know how to use it. Second of all, are you going to make treatment centers free? Are you going to start government uh, regulations to pay for treatment? So, okay, these people are going to be uh, not knowing what they're doing, taking a little coke here and there, snorting it, and whenever getting addicted, are you going to say, hey, okay, we know you have a problem, we let, made this legal, and we're going to help you, and we're going to put you in treatment center for free. Because treatment's $10,000, let's face it, and most people can't afford it. So what are you going to do? Two excellent questions. The first answer is difficult to say because I don't want to be misinterpreted, but my answer is no. I'm not going to be responsible for someone else's use of drugs. I'm not responsible for someone else's stealing. I'm not responsible for someone else's murder. I'm not responsible for the speed that you drive down the highway. I'm responsible. I was given something to, to govern. It's called Marshall Fritz, and I got plenty of problems governing it. So uh, I'm a self-governor, and I'm not trying to govern other people or be responsible for them. Marshall, you're so the, going to end up responsible because the taxes are going to come back on your shoulders. Well, remember, I'm a libertarian, so I'm not going to propose that. Uh, and I'll Libertarians just, don't I'll, pay taxes, Marshall? I pay taxes because I'm required to as a citizen, but, uh, but I don't applaud them or recommend Yes, and I'm going to go to the second question. Uh, should drug treatment centers be free? And that question really is asking, would I recommend that we force some people who don't use drugs to pay for the treatment of those who do use drugs. You know, would I force people to pay through taxes for someone else's um, irresponsibility? And I'd say no, I think that's very harmful in two regards. One, it hurts the person who's not using drugs. And secondly, it hurts the person who's using drugs because the, the treatment is free. He doesn't or she doesn't have to pay for it. Again, you're teaching irresponsibility by doing that. The message we need to send to our children is to behave yourself, not the message to try to run everybody else's life. 
Doc, do you have a good comment? Then what you're saying is that the poor and the disenfranchised are going to be the ones who die. From what I've been told about the use of cocaine here in America, I don't think that what I'm saying is about the poor and the disenfranchised at all. I think that these drugs are at all levels, and I don't believe that it's uh, that it's a statement that's antagonistic towards the poor one bit. All right. If I don't have the money to pay for it, then I'm going to die. This presentation is continued on tape A73B. If you would like more information about the training tapes, seminars, and workshops provided by the Advocates for Self-Government, please write or call. Our address is 5533 East Swift, Fresno, California, 93727. Or call 209-292-1776. And as a final note, I'd like to give special thanks to Varen Swearingen for writing the theme music for the Advocates for Self-Government. Thank you, Varen.